Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind, the second half of the discussion on movies of 1989. Uh, a little embarrassed right now because the speaker that I use to record with just shit on it, and I'm not going to make Jacob wait on it, so he's on speakerphone, so it's a little tinny compared to normal. But you can still hear me without yelling, right? Yeah, no, you're still going to have to yell. I want you to get out one of those old school microphones. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my right time girl. Hello, right time girl. Send me a kiss by wire. <laughs> <laughs> you just blew out your own mic. <laughs> I think I did. <laughs> All right, so. I can put it back. <laughs> six films of 1989. Uh, this is a really great year. I've been going through this. And, uh. Uh, we, this might be the longest one we ever do because I no I think we might be able to do no we're going to do four parts I'm looking right now we got Little Mermaid Christmas Vacation War of the Roses Always uh, Tango and Cash uh, second site I wanted to do but it's on Amazon and I don't think you have that it's it's uh, I had to, I bought it for five bucks Look Who's Talking oh, okay. hopefully we can find The Package with Gene Hackman uh, Uncle Buck Parenthood Turner and Hooch Canine um, when Harry Met Sally, and uh, yeah, so that's a lot. We couldn't find oh. Hear No Evil, See No Evil, or Three Fugitives. Yeah, no, that's a damn shame. Yeah, especially Hear No Evil, See No Evil. I'm like, dude, that's a classic. What yeah. is the uh, oh. I'm trying to see? Okay, so uh, so we'll start off with UHF. That's it? Just the dead <laughs> silence. <laughs> uh, Weird Al's only foray into leading man status. Uh, reviews on it were great uh, from the test audiences. And they thought it was going to be huge. And then they didn't realize the summer of 89 was going to be moita. Uh, just the sheer fact that you had like six movies that made over $100 million come out right before it. And one that made $250 million. Uh, it so it just destroyed any chances it had. And, and eighty nine is more of the uh, it looks like it's more of a spectacle kind of summer than comedy. I mean, yeah, we did have Uncle Buck and Paranoid, but it's mostly special effects and action. Yeah. Oh god, you have to blame Batman for that one. I mean, not blaming, not in a negative way, of course. I mean, we are talking about a summer that destroyed Freddy, Jason, James Bond. So I mean, it's no surprise that a little six million dollar movie from Orion Pictures with Weird Al, who is a musician. And uh, it, it wasn't successful, but it did blow up on video. Uh, disappeared for a long time because MG, um, for some reason, wouldn't put it out on DVD and became such a cult phenomenon. And now it's a, a regular favorite on Blu-ray. Yes, I own it on Blu-ray. And, I mean, I watched this when I was a kid, I think. It was either on MTV or uh, VH1. I, whenever, whoever had the uh, Weird Al specials, especially when he's going through his, like, uh, top... Uh, his top music videos and his current ones and like you know in lieu of releasing a new album right yeah usually when he would release a new album they'd have Al TV and he'd have his comedy special and then they would do like the biography which was like kind of an anti behind the music oh god oh and his mock interviews oh jeez how he got away with those I don't know oh man it was great I mean, I'm sure he had to ask for permission for the interviews, and, you know, every I'm pretty sure everybody who knew who Weird Al was by then. Yeah. But, yeah, just watching this movie, it's so damn absurd and ridiculous, but you can't help but like it. And it's like, something... All the little gimmicks, all the little setups. Yeah, it's something your generation doesn't really know, because by the time, 
the, the you know the UHF stations were basically dead by the mid '90s because they all sti- uh, signed contracts with like UPN and WB and Fox. So those little scrappy wow. independent stations that were usually higher numbers, uh, usually above forty. They, uh, I grew up with Fox Fifty Five, but before that was Superstation Fifty Five, and they had no money, and it was all reruns and low budget movies. And that I, oh. I, I connected so much to this because that's what UHF was. Was hey, we have no money, let's get really clever. Yeah, exactly. And and they got clever. All they needed was Michael Richardson. Yeah, and and and, and, <laughs> and ideas for crazy shows because it wasn't just his show. There's like Bowling for Super. No, no, that's a band. Bowling Strip Solitaire, and there and and then there's America's. Funniest practical pranks, whatever, where they just injure people. There's Wheel of Fish. Um, uh, oh, God, the, uh, uh, the, oh, yeah, there was that little animal show, uh, uh with the, from the guy's apartment. He had all these, oh, yeah. <laughs> the tortoises are nature's, uh, suction cup. <laughs> the most, yeah, that was the most tasteless joke of all the jokes. That's the one. Today, we're going to teach poodles to fly. Oh, man. <laughs> so fucking. Uh, get it with an obvious character, like coming in for like the fish or something like that. Um, basically, the contestants go up there and win like this, like huge, like you know, amount of fish, and it's like all these like really rare ones. And then someone picks the mystery box, and it's as he announces right after he announces that she won nothing, he just yells out, "Stupid! So stupid!" The uh. Just the way you said it. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's my standard said. of saying it when I'm describing people or when I'm, when I'm, or some idiot like not uh, using their turn signal uh, on the highway. I'm like, stupid! You can't go anywhere now because everybody's blocking you off. <laughs> I'm looking at some, There's Gandhi 2, which I, seriously, there's no way they had money for that. But uh, I work with a lady. Oh, Bowling for Burgers. I didn't remember that. But um, there's that. There was. The librarian. Yeah, yeah, Conan the Librarian, which you know they had no money for these movies. That's the most ridiculous parts. The shows, I believe, the movies, no. Um, <laughs> was it? I work with a lady named Terry, and I love to torture her with phone calls. Uh, Terry, pick up the phone, pick up the phone, Terry. <laughs> uh, I love the Geraldo parodies, the town talk. You mm. pinhead. Um, there's Secrets of the Universe. Uh, it goes Uncle Nutsy's Funhouse, which is the shitty one, then over to Stanley Spadowski, right? Yes. <laughs> they get the kid to drink from a friggin' fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> he pulls a giant, giant booger out of his nose. Oh, God, I know. It's so ridiculous. And again, uh, the cast, too. Again, you had Michael Richardson, you had Fran Drescher, uh, Oh gosh! You even had Billy Barty. Yeah, a lot of people, especially you know, vaudevillian um, buffs. Uh, we have they would recognize him. Uh, David Bow, who was one of those character actors around that time, is his best friend. Uh, Victoria Jackson is Terry. Uh, R.J. Fletcher, okay. played by Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> I love when he's like, "We're beat by a UHF station." <laughs> oh no. Again, when they just go over the top like that, like Wayne Knight did Caddyshack, it's like it, you can't help but laugh. The uh, the part where they uh, 
oh, when he goes, uh, it's a very sophisticated piece of machinery. Table saw. Table saw. <laughs> he just lops his fingers right off. <laughs> right. No. Is there red no, on my face? <laughs> oh, no. Or Betty. Or, oh, God. You know what really grossed me out what? in that movie was that little Twinkie dog thing when he was trying to cheer up his friend. Uh, weird out. Oh yeah, that's oh, pretty like, disgusting. Oh. Honestly, um, there's other things yeah. in this that I remember, like the the two Kipper kids at the end. I've seen this movie so many times. There is just so many phrases I bring this up on a regular basis, and it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> no, I don't know. Again, for me, it's Gene Watanabe. Oh god, especially uh, when Weird Al's going to save Stanley. He does that whole little Rambo sequence, and he just yells. I just saw he just yells out, Whoa! That's right before he launches a missile. And that freaking disgusting fake muscle suit. Yeah, <laughs> so nasty. I know. Oh, I didn't know this. Not Philo, it. the mad scientist, was originally written for Joel Hodgson. Huh. Oh. He didn't think he was a good enough actor, so they went to Crispin Glover, but he didn't want to do it. And uh, oh, wow. he only wanted to play the cameo of the used car salesman. <laughs> You'll buy this car. I'm beating this baby seal. <laughs> um, uh, there's a guy who comes into our store on a regular basis who has a bumper sticker that says, uh, guns don't kill people, people kill people. <laughs> I always think of that line from this movie. People don't ki- uh, guns don't kill people. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh god! I'm like, okay, now replace that word "guns" with "nuke." Yeah, does put things in a better perspective. The soundtrack did not do well from this. The movie didn't do very well. It's just like I said on video, it became a big hit. But I remember like this just not being a good album, and I was kind of bummed. And uh, you know, coming off of even worse, which was one of his biggest albums ever. But thankfully, his next album was the one that was um, the Nirvana parody. What the hell's that album called? Uh, off the oh, deep god. end. Off the deep end. Yes, that's what it was. Uh, it, we can't go on forever about the lines in this movie, oh, but me. it's so oh. so incredibly catchy. But it's player's choice, Jacob. What is our second film? Okay, speaking of players, let's go right into this one. Uh, Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner. Honestly, this is easily one of the most heartwarming, beautiful baseball movies ever made. It's here's the thing: is in a way. It's a spiritual Christian film without being a shitty pound you in the skull like the way you see now. Christian movies now are so heavy-handed and fucking terrible. Oh, yeah. But this is a way of... Like, it doesn't slam you in the face. It's just kind of subtly there. There clearly is some sort of afterlife heaven thing. And, you know, in a way, it's a mystical, godlike voice speaking to him. And I didn't remember this movie being funny i haven't seen it since it came out and i love it as an adult kevin costner is treated like shit now as if he's some sort of bad actor and i don't fucking get it at all i don't either no uh dude again some of the movies he's made too are like major staples in hollywood and he is actually just absolutely i I keep i keep forgetting the actress's name who plays his wife oh amy madigan from streets of fire oh yes oh god and is also Ed Harris's uh, wife. Correct. She, dude, honestly, she was such a great supporting actress, especially when it came to the whole town meeting about canceling out this particular book and just like not listening to like any voice of reason or you know 
what the actual book's about because it goes against their particular beliefs and the way she just stands up to the entire crowd and wins them over I'm like yes 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 she's powerful in this she doesn't get any credit for this in fact Kevin Costner is the one on the poster and he is the biggest name but Amy Madigan and James Earl Jones just this might be the most successful movie that James Earl Jones has actually been in I can't think of anything that was big well no I forgot Coming to America the year before made more money, but he's hardly in that. He's in a big, big part of this movie. No, absolutely, of course. Oh, Jesus. Okay, Kevin Costner is just a very humble, down-to-earth kind of guy, and, of course, stays open-minded, thanks to his wife, And uh, but he does show determination, too, when he's really trying to figure it all out, like what those, those voices he's hearing, and, of course, seeing Ray Liotta uh, as uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson. Yeah, I mean, this is the perfect pairing with the movie we did last year called Eight Men Out. Uh, just, they just go hand in hand. Watch the Eight Men Out, and then you know why it matters so much, what's going on, this redemption that they're looking for. Exactly. Oh, God, it is. It was absolutely so. It was just so sweet to well, see. Well, nearly everybody is looking for redemption. Now that I think about it, Burt Lancaster's character, James Earl Jones, Kevin Costner, and then all the people on the field. Exactly. James, yeah, Kevin Costner himself. Of course, you find that out right at the end. Uh, well, you do get a good hint, like when he's talking to James Earl Jones, talking about like the relationship he had with, you know, his father, and realizing, you know, again, he never really made peace with his father or made time with it, and then at the very end, we get that, we get that closure. Yeah. So basically, when he tells him uh, that voice here is uh, heal his pain, it's his pain too, not just his father's. And I, I like the fact that they didn't rely too much on special effects. There's a slight fading kind of special effect as they go back into the field, but it really is mystical in idea, not so much visually. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just a little fadeaway, that's it. That's, again, that's, that's hardly anything. It's so funny, I was watching I mean, this. these days. I was watching this and thinking that a year and a half earlier, Timothy Busfield is playing Poindexter in Revenge of the Nerds 2. <laughs> and then he's just like the polar opposite, just a hard-driving pain in the ass in this movie, and he thinks that they're all crazy. Oh, God, yes, I know. Seriously, like that's what I realized, too. I'm like, holy shit, he can switch it up. Like, he's got range. And then, then he finally sees it, and he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, you got to see it to believe it. Yeah. And then James Earl Jones, too, like, being introduced to the other side. Of course, him being a writer and, like, what he stood for, like, in a, you know, the civil rights era. Uh, again. Oh, gosh, I can't even think of the right phrase. He got his redemption. Yeah. And it's, it's very lightly comic. Uh, I mean, there, there are a few stakes, but they, they kind of come at the end of the movie. But the, the biggest was just... Uh, that this is a, a almost like a Job kind of journey. Like, how much can a man take? You know, he's going to lose everything. His family is struggling. He's on this journey where he thinks he's losing his mind. Everybody thinks that he's just uh, fucking bonkers. And it's it's a test of faith, really. Yeah, and it all it, it, it did end up working out. I mean, God, it was his own land. He may have gotten rid of his largest crop. And he was, they were just barely getting by for a while. Then everything started drying up. But then, lo and behold, everybody started coming around. Well, I'm trying to figure out is where were they going to park? <laughs> that long line. Where are they going to go? Know. I mean, of course, the roads leading up to it have some, like, roadsides. So, hopefully, but it's going to be a long freaking walk. I know, right? That's, that seems like a nutty <laughs> thing. Uh, Phil, yeah. 
Phil Alden Robinson, I don't know what he directed before this, but after this, he's going to do the absolutely amazing Sneakers, which is highly underrated. I don't know if you've ever seen that with Robert Redford. Mm. But I do want to say about this movie, uh, I think uh, recently this year there was um, there was an actual baseball, like game between the Yankees and I can't remember the other team recently this year where they did play at a farm that was based off Field of Dreams. Oh, like, that's cool. The stadium was just out there. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. I was like, you know what's funny is you could take this in a totally different direction if you wanted to. If them coming back from the dead, like the fog, but call it Field of Screams. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not object. I'm not objecting to that. I mean, shoot, Funny or Die did like this little horror movie parody of uh, Willy Wonka with Christopher Lloyd as Willy Wonka. I'm like, hey, if it works, do it. <laughs> and this this kind of cemented the all American uh, aspect of Kevin Costner. He had done his westerns and he had done his uh, baseball movies and, the, and you know the military and cops and stuff like that. So he became like the go to everyman. The, the uh, I want to say the closest thing I think I can say is Glenn Ford, even though nobody knows who the fuck Glenn Ford is anymore. He was Superman's dad in the first Superman movie, the the Superman movie from 1978. No, not Man of Steel. Damn it. <laughs> It's weird that people... Yeah, uh, oh, which had Kevin Costner. Son of a bitch, I just fucking realized that. <laughs> I know. And you know what I also realized? Uh, freaking Russell Crowe and Kevin Costner both played Robin Hood. It's like, damn, Green Arrow would be jealous. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I gotta watch that one with uh, Russell Crowe again. I, I thought it was kind of boring. I, mean, I don't know. Even with the, uh, it being a Ridley Scott film, I couldn't help but enjoy it. Yeah. Um, what is our next film? Okay, our next film. Okay, uh, actually, no, uh, this, again, was something I would always watch during the summer and childhood on Showtime, Earth Girls Are Easy, this is a total, you know, definitely MTV kind of movie for, I mean, when MTV was MTV, for that particular generation, and it's just, overall, so good, I mean, young Jim Carrey and Damon Wayans, they already have chemistry, especially on being on, in Living Color. Well, they hadn't been on they Living really Color yet. This is uh, this is a year before In Living Color airs. Oh, it does. This is oh, where I they it meet. Off at, like late eighties. No, no. Uh, Living Color. The pilot was shot, I believe, summer of nineteen ninety and or uh, eighty nine. Oh. So, uh, and the show debuted spring of nineteen ninety. And I read the uh, the book about the history of In Living Color, and they said when they were looking for cast members, Damon brought up Jim Carrey because they had so much fun with him on Earth Girls Are Easy. Yeah, and of course, Damon is, uh, oh gosh, I'm sorry, the main head weigh-ins, the one, the director. Oh, Keenan. Keenan Ivory, yes. Of course, he and Keenan Ivory are, you know, they're brothers, and so it was a good thing he got some pull there, and it doesn't look like they were, you know, going to have a second thought about that, considering how funny he really is. Yeah, this, uh, this was not a hit. Uh, this is one of maybe four films that Vestron Pictures greenlit because they had some extra cash from Dirty Dozen. Not Dirty Dozen, sorry. Dirty Dancing. That's a totally... Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson in Dirty Dancing. That's how they kill off, killed off all the other gunmen. They dance. <laughs> Nobody puts Bronson in a corner! <laughs> Nobody! Um... <laughs> Uh, so they had some extra cash because that was a big hit, but nothing else was successful. And in 1989, they end up selling their entire catalog and shutting down. Uh, Earth Girls Are Easy, oh. I think, was the second to last movie, I think. I think it was this, and then um, 
Dream a Little Dream, and then they closed down and sold Little Monsters to MGM. Oh. But still, Little Monsters was a huge success for me, yeah. I think. Uh, it was. It wasn't though. It, it made like one hundred twenty thousand in theaters. MGM barely dumped it just to fill out a contract. So they screwed over Fred Savage. Yeah, um, Earth Girls are easy. <laughs> Cost I think twelve million dollars. Only made like three. Uh, we saw it on video and we actually had a wonderful time. It's it's still fun. I, I love the musical numbers. Um, that that Julie uh, Brown not downtown julie brown just other julie brown she was a hit on mtv because she had done some videos like uh the prom queen has got a gun i think is what it was or lost her mind but she was a comedian on there and then she worked with the director julian temple to put together a retro you know goofball musical comedy and i think it really works the makeup's great the special effects great the comedy's fun the cast is glorious Oh, absolutely. I know. So Gina Davis, again, just absolutely wholesome. And, I mean, lovable, like, valley girl. Not your stereotypical one. I mean, especially when, uh, especially when it came to uh, the aliens first arriving. She's, like, trying to figure out what to make for lunch. She's like, oh, God. I don't know. And she's, like, all flustered. She's like, I, she doesn't really think. She's like, oh, instant pudding? Never mind. Just that one. Because she's, <laughs> she's in a bit of a rut. It's like, what the hell do I do? It's like, I have to cook. But, it, I mean, just the thought of, like, actually making shit. No, stress her out even more. Uh, so all she did was like ended up making him eggs. You know, or then uh, that whole musical number where she's like, uh, you know, becoming uh, blonde and like getting all dressed up. That was like one of the most solid and beautifully synchronized choreographed sequences I've yeah. seen. Oh man! I'm looking and then, at of this. Jeff Goldblum too, like. Okay, so, so funny. I'm looking really outrageous. real quick here. Uh, it says it's originally uh, set up at Warner Brothers. They reject the project because they wanted to offer it to Madonna or Molly Ringwald. Uh, let's see here. The $14 million budget originally, but cut down to $10 million. And De Laurentiis Entertainment Group agreed to distribute it. That's why it fell apart. De Laurentiis uh, shut down. Well, so this, this movie is just one of these, just like... Uh, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, where company after company just kept falling apart. Um, it was so it was done by D, uh, De Laurentiis, Nelson Entertainment, New World, MGM, and 20th Century Fox offered, but Best Run Pictures ended up getting the rights because they could debut it on the most screens. But legal entanglements delayed it for uh, wow, from September '88 to May 1989. That is fucking terrible. I mean, God, so much syndication hell. It's nuts. Also, again, so there's, I think there were quite a few uh, little, like, um, local SoCal uh, names and faces, especially when they pull up into the gas station, and there's that one, like, she does actually look like a Barbie. Oh, Evangeline, who I believe was running for governor during the last recall, because that makes sense. Oh, God, oh God wasn't that a waste of time? Oh, could you give the money back now, you fucking nimcompoops? Is this the only state where that's allowed? I, I wish it was. I don't know. I don't know, but I mean, there's that should be now because I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, reformation as far as recall rules go. Yeah, that should be it. Huh? In 2001, <laughs> there was a a musical of this with Kristen Chenoweth in the main role, <laughs> but it, it never really took off. Well, I mean, Chris. Oh, dude, Kristen. I, I appreciate Kristen Chenoweth wholeheartedly, and I would definitely watch that if that be the case, like if I were to see it. 
Yeah, they couldn't uh, find enough investors, and after the 9-11 uh, attacks, you know, Broadway was basically shut down, so they just shut, you know, just closed it down after in the initial uh, run. Yeah. No, that, and of course that was definitely a shit 20 years. 20 years ago, man. I, I, not to get sad on this, so I apologize for uh, diverting from this, but there is a sequence in this where they're dancing, and I knew instantly that Damon Wayans and Jim Carrey were stars, the way they sell that scene. And it's like, get with the hero, or what is it, get with the zero and ditch the hero. Like, he doesn't even understand what he's saying at all. Um, and I was like, no, they don't. Got, they're just going with the flow. They're so lively. They're so much fun. And, you know, and both became mega stars. Of course, Jim Carrey became the much bigger star. But Damon Wayans, I think a lot of it is because he wants control over his projects. And sometimes, you know, because, you know, after Last Boy Scout, his next few movies were all produced and kind of driven by him. You know, now that you think about it, especially looking at Major Pain, I'm like, oh yeah, this yeah. definitely had to be Damon Wayans. I movie. think his first three movies after Last Boy Scout, it was Mo Money, uh, Blank Man, which, holy fucking shit, what was it? I, I, mm, uh, and Major Pain. <laughs> Jesus, Blank Man, really? I knew a guy who said his favorite movie is Blank Man, and I was like, you're fucking serious? That movie is horribly offensive. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I mean, I, as a kid, I enjoyed it, but if I were to watch it today, I'm not sure if oh, I could get through it. Dear Lord. <laughs> um, so, what is our next film? Mm. Uh, one more thing I do want to say. Oh, that whole dance sequence between Damon Wayans and the other dancer. Oh, dude, that was like one of the coolest things ever. Yeah. I actually great. enjoyed it. And even the song that was playing in the background by uh, a band called Royalty. Uh, Baby Get a Shake. It's catchy. It's fun. It's upbeat. It's jiggy. It's but, cool. Um, <laughs> all right okay next one uh again i was more familiar with the second one than the first one i didn't watch the first one until i was at least like what 12 or 13 weekend at bernie's oh okay yeah weekend at bernie's 2 was one that played on comedy central non-stop because the distributor was different than the first movie um the first one is uh, frustrating because it was by a company that uh, screwed a bunch of other people over by lying about how much they were actually spending on mo- – what the fuck is the name of the company? They did Gleam in the Cube. I'll have to look it up. Um, but the second one went over to Columbia Pictures. So right now the first one's owned by Fox, I think, or maybe MGM. Got me. But um, what did so you that think? Means Disney owns it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, unless unless it is with MGM. And then it's at Amazon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, made, nobody thought this was going to make any money. Uh, made $30 million, which is more than some movies that they really thought were going to take off. Directed by Ted Kotcheff, who, I, if I remember correctly, did fucking Rambo. Yeah, he did the first Rambo. How the fuck do you go First Blood, Uncommon Valor, Weekend at Bernie's? A what? <laughs> right, I know. But... He had comedic timing uh, just right. And honestly, I think Jonathan Silverman and Andrew McCarthy, uh, again, really do steal the show equally. Like, I don't know. I think I think this watch. all lies with Terry Kaiser. I think his portrayal as Bernie is so fluid and rubbery, and I just can't believe the shit that he's able to do and, and still appear oh. dead. Oh, God, yes, I know. Like, do you think you can tell this guy? I, I want to say first glance you'd think he would have like you know mime training you know yeah maybe as far, as, but oh man uh again there's one oh god no the, the uh hitman that tries to come back and kill bernie so many times oh uh 
from Return of the Living Dead. I can't remember. Right. I don't. I, I okay. I'll say this: Return of the Living Dead. When I first saw that commercial as a kid, I really thought that that was Rodney Dangerfield. You know, when you're a kid, you really can't <laughs> tell. I really did. I was like, "What's Rodney Dangerfield doing in this horror film?" Weird. Oh, of course. No, no. Of course, him having those like uh, explicit white eyes and the gray hair like that. I mean, as a kid, yeah, it's hard to mix them up. But God, he was so funny. He is like, good. He was just so funny, especially. When he's like losing his mind and just like starts shouting in Italian. Yeah, I didn't know this <laughs> until right now. John Cryer was originally cast in uh, Andrew McCarthy's role. You know, you can see him playing that off so well. Yeah, but I can see the company getting nervous because Jonathan, John Cryer had just come off of four major flops, and Andrew McCarthy, the company was Glad Entertainment. That's what it was. Uh, had just worked with them on Mannequin, and Mannequin was a big hit. So I can see why you cast Andrew McCarthy, you got a better chance of making money. Yes, I mean, considering like how Mannequin being such a big hit. Of course, this movie didn't have Kim Cattrall, but it did have... Um... I keep forgetting that uh, woman's name. The one that plays Gwen, the one that Jonathan Silverman's... Uh... Oh, Catherine Mary Stewart. From yes. Last Starfighter. Yeah, I know. I was like, I, was, I couldn't remember for the life of me, like, where she was originally from. But then I look back, I'm like, oh, thank you, IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a really fun, fast movie. I, I see why it was such a big hit on video uh, and why there was a sequel. I don't think the sequel made any money because, if I remember correctly, they opened it against Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, we, oh, God, yes. You're screwed. Yeah. You're going up against Spielberg, man. Uh, so yeah, the first one made thirty million dollars. The second one made twelve and a half. Yeah, I, okay. Plus, it is a really crazy fucking idea. It really is. I the fact that uh, they use now like voodoo to get him dancing around. <laughs> oh god, I know. And then the, as a kid, I couldn't help but want to imitate that. That shit was just so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but I will say about the this one. Just the scene when Andrew McCarthy proposes that they pretend he's still alive, and then Jonathan Silverman at him with that blank stare and then he just goes oh god I can't believe I'm hearing this he just proceeds to call the cops <laughs> I didn't but, know I mean, this to me uh, Jonathan Silverman I feel if anybody were to be the leading man it would definitely be him yeah the uh, the Oakland A's have adopted moving like Bernie into the little celebratory dance <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh that's great I mean of course leave it up to the Oakland A's to pull something off like that yeah. they're definitely the most uh would you say rambunctious and most uh, vivid, not vivid, vivacious, um, you know, team in all of baseball? I don't pay attention to the Oakland A's, not since the 80s, I'm sorry. Gotcha, no worries. But uh, I do want to say one more thing. Yes. Uh, actually, no, a couple more things. Uh, Andrew McCarthy, though, did have some, like, great moments where he's trying to pick up that girl, he pulls out the cigarette, and then she tells him to fuck off, and he just throws away, like, okay. <laughs> my favorite so part he understands consent. <laughs> my favorite part of the movie is really early on when it's so miserably fucking hot and they're on the roof trying to you know get you know just to cool off whatever and their shoes <laughs> get stuck to the seat because of the tar has melted <laughs> oh god that oh no when they're in the park and then that guy tries to mug them and then Andrew Garth like get your ass out of here it's too hot <laughs> okay, and then there was one more joke uh, when that one girl Rooney's girl mom boss's uh, girlfriend she comes out of the room and like they're just contemplating like did she really do it no she couldn't have it's like god he gets more laid more dead than I do alive <laughs> <laughs> I just lay there 
Yeah. All right, what is our next film? Okay, our next film. Is this possibly our last one? Uh, I think it is. No. Well, let's see. We got. Uh, you go ahead and tell me what I think. No, we have two more. Dream, Dream Team Dream and Team. Vampire's Kiss. Okay, let's go with Dream Team. You know, oh god, seriously, this ensemble was just absolutely great. I mean, Michael Keaton, um, Christopher Lloyd, uh, Peter Boyle, and oh god, Flounder from Animal House. I can't Stephen first, Stephen first, who sadly passed away not that long ago. Yes, may rest. But yeah, no, of course, and I just love how like each character like has their like unique sense of charm. Except Peter Boyle, I'm just like, oh gosh. And then of course Christopher Lloyd was kind of a bit of a control freak. Each of, of course, like they're all um, patients at uh, not an asylum. Would you say an asylum or like a particular treatment facility? Yeah, asylum seems like it's more of a lockup. You're dangerous. Uh, more of like a mental facility. I honestly don't know the difference though, because I am dumb as a brick. Right. Uh, however, yeah, they are. They are like they are uh, mental patients. And of course, Michael Keaton definitely has to is definitely the more grounded one. Does have some delusions, rage of uh, gra- yeah, and rage. However, since he's like just borderline, that's what keeps him out of jail. And he happens to be a writer. I'm like, oh my gosh! Like, if anything, that's how he's kind of like. That's how I mean. That's how he's treated to try and find his constant. Yeah, so we have and, Peter Boyle is delusional, and well, they're all kind of delusional. You go ahead and you explain each one. I'm sorry. Christopher Lloyd definitely uh, schizophrenia and some split personality uh, thinking he's like a doctor I mean he is well um, what's the right word I'm looking for not a control freak per se it, it, it does seem use. some level of OCD though yes and like he's never a doctor he doesn't have this experience he was only working in like sanitation and of course uh, the way it, it each do uh with like each character personally I just thought it was just absolutely well done you know Michael Keaton like you know he has someone out on the outside he still sees uh, Lorraine Bracco who would later a year later would star in Goodfellas alongside uh, Ray Liotta and the one who has the most charm like honestly it's just hard not to you know be charmed by Michael Keaton in this particular sense like he's trying to assure her that he's okay and that you know keeping her updated do you think it's weird that he just stopped doing comedies until like fucking uh, what was it multiplicity he didn't do a comedy for like seven years I, I think it's so strange that after Batman he's like well here we go all dramas yeah clean and sober and Batman I think were the ones that led him to dramas yeah sure. and uh, it's just, I'm glad he finally started to bring some back but um I'm trying to think here we have uh well, James James Remar is one of the villains, and it's basically like these guys that are unable to really take care of themselves, but now they are forced to try to figure out how to do this. And I just thought it was a good character piece for all of them to do, and it's, it handles mental illness, I think, and in, in, uh, it's delicate. You know, it's it's hard to make that funny, especially in today's day and age where we're a little more aware of how people are suffering from mental problems. I don't think that they make it a big fucking like let's laugh at these idiots it's like you laugh but you also feel sorry for them you want to work with them you know like you're rooting for them to fix whatever's going on 
especially Stephen First's character. Like, he's definitely the most sympathetic. Like, you know, he, he loves baseball. That's his constant. And then all he had to do was just go to the bathroom in an alley and, you know, still feeling uncomfortable. He went further down the alley, and the doctor overseeing him ended up, like, catching on to something going down. And, of course, two cops taking out a... Taking out one cop who was investigating them. Yeah, yeah. It, it it has some actual drama in it. This is uh from um, Ron Howard's company, Imagine. It's one of their early productions, and I think I think that um, I think that he's really savvy with balancing out what could be offensive and, and also a tonal shift. I think he does a really good job. Absolutely. Oh God, Peter Boyle though. Like what? As soon as the, uh, yeah. That's another thing. Like these characters really start to remember like who they are. They make a lot of progress without the doctor, and Michael Keaton helps them realize that even more. Him being the most sane of the four. Yeah. I mean, Peter Boyle realized you know he was a big you know ad consultant at a big firm, and uh, yeah, he goes back. Like when he comes back to his old job, of course, him being arrested because they're framed for what happened to the to the cop investigating the two bad cops and like what happened to their, do- oh, uh, to their doctor uh-huh. <laughs> and just like when he's exiting the building he tells the guy that they landed the account and then he just tells me he was kidding <laughs> I'm like oh god <laughs> he was a dick <laughs> All right. and then Christopher Lloyd though like when he sees his family like his wife and daughter I mean she still cares for him. She knows yeah. who he is. Well, and, and, and she understands what he's going through, too. Yeah, it, it really does handle that a very sensitive way. I thought that was probably the strongest of all of them because it's more subtle than I think the rest of the cast. Absolutely. I know, and it was just like... And it was like a very heartwarming moment, especially when he, he gives up his clipboard, which he has with him all the time, you know, and gives it to his daughter. Like he's like kind of letting things. He's kind of letting things go, and he's like again, personally on his own, making progress. Yeah. Yeah, and then all all they want, all the doctor wanted to do was just try and you know take them out for the day just to go see a baseball game, the <laughs> Yankees. Something so simple. I know. <laughs> and again, oh, it's just a heartwarming movie, and I absolutely loved it. All right, so something that's not heartwarming is our final film, which I have never seen before. <laughs> My jaw was on the fucking floor the entire time, and I can't believe that this got made after he got nominated for an Oscar. That's the only way, because this movie is fucking bananas, and I'm so happy it exists. Exactly, I know. It's like, again, this is one of Nicolas Cage's most craziest performances. He's batshit nuts off the wall pun intended uh, <laughs> and I'm here for every fucking second of it vampires kiss <laughs> wow. if you don't know this movie and you're all like ah oh, he makes crazy movies this is kind of where it started This, I mean yes he's a little weird in other performances like you know Moonstruck and uh, Peggy Sue Got Married but this is out of it's fucking mind the, I, mean, in, oh, God, yeah. I mean literally and figuratively the character is out of his fucking mind and just watching, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> we just did. your turn, dude. He's uh, his character overall is just a misogynist, you know, controlling Wall Street piece of shit. Yeah, abusive, <laughs> just the fucking off the rocks. Doesn't 
he is a metaphor for the excessive shitheads of the 80s. Oh, absolutely, and I think those characters are sadly still relevant today. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> but uh, just just from, like, start to finish, like, just the way he said, like, at the beginning, when he, the bat's flying around in his apartment, he just goes, shoot, 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 he's just trying to shoot away. It's like, what? <laughs> Even as they're going out to the cab, you know, to get a hotel room, he, just the way he laughs, just, ah! <laughs> he just goes over the top in almost every scene. Oh, the way that he tortures his assistant, Mary Conchita Alonso, is mind-boggling. And you just want to shoot him in the dick for it. Like, yeah, he gets true. everything he deserves, and nothing you think it, that is happening is happening. Every twenty minutes, it switches on a dime, and it changes everything you know about the character and the situation going on. Oh, absolutely! It's like he's it's like this guy is just you know just giving him uh, giving himself uh, you know mental images in his head that he's seeing this woman who is an actual vampire. This is all in his fucking mind. He's nuts, you know, from being so alone. But it's like, dude, you're a piece of shit. No wonder why. Hell, even the other girl he was seeing, he just up and left her at the fucking art gallery to chase some woman in his head. Someone who's not even there. Yeah. Oh, God. And, oh, just that again. You can't help but quote him and want to mimic some of the things he says and does. Or even when, even when he's talking to a psychiatrist and he's like, upset about not being able to find the file he goes how could you not find the file <laughs> it's in the correct order you know a b c d he just lists off the whole alphabet you know people just go you know give an example they just start out stop after like four or five letters but he does that and just yells it out and goes that's all you have to do and the psychiatrist's response is like well i'm glad you know your alphabet <laughs> <laughs> yeah elizabeth ashley from uh, dragnet and then a million other things uh, she's his psychiatrist, and just trying to control this freak show is amazing. Oh, God, I know, and there's, like, no control to him. Oh, even when he's just calling out for, uh, her name a minute ago, and I immediately forgot, my bad. What? You cut out from, really uh, bad. Running Man. Uh, you immediately said the actress's name from Running Man, I completely forgot what it was. Oh, Maria Conchita Alonso. Yes, oh, God, when he's just calling out for Alba, 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 and then he just jumps on the table. There you are, Alva. Like, oh my fucking god! Like, seriously, oh man. On on the, on the comedic aspect, dude, he's just all over the place. Just like, again, just like telling her, explaining to her, she has to find that file, and he, I just like really putting her down and just like mentally breaking her. But the way he says all this shit, it's just so funny. It's like you're the lowest down the totem pole here, Alva. Do you realize that? <laughs> But the thing is, like, he has all this time because, you know, when he goes talks to, you know, a senior exec over the phone to find this file, he's like, yeah, I'm going to be gone all week. Just take your time finding that file. It'll be okay. Oh, yeah, and then he lies. Just flat out fucking lies. Did you hear that tone in his voice? He's really angry with you. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, God. And then the scene when he just finally absolutely loses it and just attacks Maria uh, Conchita Alonso's character, Alba. Oh, gosh, like, that scene where he's just, like, flipping his head saying, too late, too late. Like, fuck. When he just stares at the wall and has a discussion with the wall, but he doesn't know he is, fucking gold. Gold. Oh, oh, just even this way when he, yeah, near the end when he just exclaims, uh, he just goes, 
He spends a half hour in this movie with like blood pouring down his face. <laughs> I know, it's like, oh no, I'm a vampire, you have to kill me. <laughs> it's gonna be random people. Oh god, no. Fucked up thing, eating that actual cockroach. He ate oh, that cockroach. Yeah, I remember this. I remember this back in the day uh, on Entertainment Tonight. They talked about this. And. <gasps> And they were like, yeah, he really ate that bug. And I was like, that's fucking commitment. Who's Nicolas Cage? Because <laughs> I need to know now. Yes, exactly. I know. It, but overall, I feel like the way how this movie summed up, oh, dude, I couldn't help but like cheer at the end when he got impaled by uh, Alva's brother. Yeah. I'm like, yes, out of revenge for what he did to her. I'm like, I couldn't help but cheer like freaking when Tommy... Uh, Tommy Wiseau, like, you know, blew his brains out in fucking, um, the room. <laughs> it's like, those are, mo- it's like, movements like that are, like, I mean, of course, that being such a terrible movie, you can't help but cheer for it. But him getting staked in the heart and dying, it's like, good, you're a piece of shit. I'm glad you're dead. But you did give a hell of a funny performance on the way. Ugh. It's such Man, a crazy, I-, I can't believe a studio said, yeah, and it has to be only because he had just got nominated for Moonstruck having star status um would alleviate it to like what success this movie had <laughs> and of course uh, all the lines like uh, his entire performance overall is what made this like a big huge cult film like i'm pretty sure you could find a montage of like all the lines everything he says like on youtube somewhere there has to be like a clip yeah well we oh, watched it remember we, well, years ago we did a episode about the craziest movie that he's ever done and this is before he did Mandy and Color from Outer Space and uh, Wally's Wonderland and all that stuff um, that uh, we watched one of the clips and recorded it for the show and I, I there's one that's in there that isn't audible but I use all the time when someone's making a good point um, it's him with a cigarette in his mouth his hair all greased back and just pointing pointing at Alma <laughs> Oh my god, my brother Eddie, I think, uh, mentioned this mentioned this movie. I can't remember what it was called, but he has to show me those clips. Um, but yeah, I think there was one more thing I definitely wanted to say about this movie. Uh, considering, like, what this is, is like basically a metaphor for um, somewhat. All of that cut out, what? I said, I want to say this movie was, like, metaphorical for, like, um, like, a, like, uh, breakdown of loneliness and not you know regarding relationships i guess it's funny is that it means two different things to me i think at the time it was more about the excess and delusion of these greedy wall street fucks um but now in the age of social media where people know people but they don't know them and they fall in love with people that they've never met and they become obsessed because they're lonely that's what i think the new metaphor for this is but yeah, um, no, no, honestly, now another scene just popped back where he's in the shower and he's talking to himself. You oh, can't do that. I'm going to be late for work. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, let's not let's yeah, not take away. So have we mentioned? About talking about this movie. Have we mentioned Jennifer Beals yet? She is in this movie. Um, and, and you know, as the non-vampire character, and that really puts a big twist. And it's like, wait, you do know her, but she doesn't know you really. And there's that big delusional moment. He must have just seen her at the party once, and in his head, he fell in love with her. But she is great in the vampire sequences. She's so seductive and wonderful. That's 
thing I was going to mention. I feel like she was a dom to him, and he's yearning for someone to, you know, kind of put him in his place. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, because if he was just lonely, though, he was sleeping with that one beautiful girl. And um, I think you're right. He wanted – he's always having control at his job, but in his personal life, he wants to be dominated. Which explain, yeah, which would explain the attitude, but still. It's a very, very complicated movie, and it's truly enjoyable in a weird fucking way. It, ain't, it isn't a feel-good movie, but it's a very interesting movie. You're still going to laugh your ass off, especially yeah. if you, you know, enjoy Nicolas Cage's craziness on screen. I was just told about a movie that he did after this called Zandali with Judge Reinhold and some hottie. Uh, set in like the deep bayou it's a sexual thriller but his performance apparently is off the fucking rockers and his accent is insane so I need to go find this movie he did this right before he did that studio you know how he always did one movie for himself and then one for a studio kind of thing uh, after this he would do Firebirds which we're going to discuss on the uh, 1990 episode down the road but uh, I gotta go find Zandali I heard it's nuts it almost sounded like you said Xanadu too. I'm like, wait, wait <laughs> Xanadu, but I love Xanadu. And that, <laughs> Xanadu, I love Xanadu. I don't know what the fuck Xanadu really is about. I've seen it like six times now. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! All right, this... yeah, I feel like that uh, again. We had to end on a high note, and it was definitely that yeah. Kind of movie. Uh, sorry, we're ending on a low note of, uh, physically though. Uh, this is the latest we've recorded in years. I am pooped. We both go to bed super early, but thank you, Jacob, for cramming in two movies at the last minute, and uh, I am going to sign off now because I have a headache and I want to go to bed. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> have a good night. Namaste and good luck, you guys, and be excellent to each other. Yes. Hit, uh, check us out on Hit Rewind, and uh, subscribe, share. Uh, numbers haven't been too good lately, guys, and uh, it's kind of killing the enthusiasm to keep the show going. So if you have been holding off on telling people what you like about the show or telling us what you do and you don't like. I mean, help us make the show better. Um, that is it. Have a good night.